Hello, Let Me Listen podcast listeners. Would you like this part of the podcast to be filled with ads for shaving clubs or underwear clubs or web hosting sites? Yeah, I didn't think so. Neither do we. So this is just a quick announcement to let you know that after several requests from fans, um, Let Me Listen podcast has opened a Patreon page. So if you would like to help support this show and um, some of the other shows that uh, Let Me Listen podcast produces, then please go to patreon.com slash lemme underscore listen and make a pledge or just click the Patreon link on the Let Me Listen website. We're only asking for $1 a month, and the funds will go to making these podcasts better and ad-free. If you can't or just don't want to, don't worry about it. We still love you, and uh, thanks for listening. Hello, podcast listeners. Uh, this is another bonus episode of Late Seating um, from a show we did back when it was a live Google Hangout. So the audio quality is going to be a little bit different, and there are going to be a few segments in there that we don't include um, anymore. Uh, that's mostly the counterpoint segment because people thought we were being a little mean to those people. Um, but other than that, it's a review for Forrest Gump. A lot of people have been asking us to review Forrest Gump, and we kind of already did it. So, here it is. Right for your ears. Forrest Gump! Enjoy! Hi, everybody, and welcome to Late Seating, the show where we take movies that have been out forever... After all the hype has died down, after all the, rev- the reviewers have weighed in, after all the critics have either torn it apart or lauded it, we two jackasses come in and give our two cents. I am Jason Harding. And I'm Steve Shives. What's up, cinephiles? So you're probably wondering, what movie are we doing? Well, you shouldn't because it's written right above this video title. We're doing... No, Forrest Gump! That beloved movie, the movie that audiences just gravitated to and, and held with both arms and loved to death. What do I think of it? What do you think? We're going to go right into the review like we always do, starting with the lovely and talented Steve Shive. Steve, what did you think of this immortal classic, Forrest Gump? <laughs> I'm going to tee it up for you real good, buddy. Um... <laughs> I must confess, uh, I was 14 when this movie came out, and I went through a period of very deep Forrest Gump love. I There was a, a period in my life, in my mid-teens, when I just, I loved this movie, and I, I, had, I had the score, like I had the soundtrack on uh, CD that I listened to constantly, the Alvin Silvestri score. I would listen to it when I wrote. I would listen to it when I was like going to sleep. Like I just adored the score to this movie. And I just really, really loved the movie. Looking back on it now, watching it as an adult, and I just watched it yesterday to prepare for this, I see why a lot of people really, really don't like the movie. And I have to say, when I, if I'm honest with myself as as a mature, uh, critical film viewer, I see every single thing wrong with the movie. And yet I still, because I still have that 14-year-old kid inside me somewhere, I have a a lingering nostalgic affection for Forrest Gump. But as a grown-up watching the movie, my honest response to it is it takes every easy shot there is to take, Every joke it makes is the easiest possible joke that could be made in that scenario. The characters are all as simple as they could possibly be. Um, And the thing I noticed about it watching it this time that I never necessarily noticed in many of the other times I watched it is that it's really kind of pointless. The movie really doesn't have a hell of a lot to say. And there's a weird effect to it where the story has sort of the structure of a social satire. You have this character, Forrest Gump, who sort of backs into all these important events in recent American history and plays, unknowingly plays this very pivotal role in the last 50 years or so of American history. Uh, But the movie doesn't have anything to say about any of this. 
it never has a point to make. It never has a message. It never has a point of view. Uh, it's always just, oh, look, and now there's Forrest shaking hands with President Kennedy. But, but it doesn't mean anything. It, it almost feels like, an, like uh, the only reason they made the movie was to have a really impressive special effects reel. You know, to say, like, look, we can put Tom Hanks anywhere we want him. Look, look, there he is. There he is showing his ass to President Johnson. It looks real, doesn't it? It's not. We made that. That's all we did. And so it has the form of a satire but no satirical content. And it leaves you feeling kind of kind of empty. And the only thing left is the, the character story, which just is kind of – uh, just sort of shallow and syrupy and treacly. I mean, there's just not a whole lot there. And there are still parts of it that I like, that I, or at least that I that I admire, that we can talk about in a little bit. But overall, it's it just left me feeling very hollow. It just seemed like a very hollow, pointless exercise. Okay. Well, here's mine. There <laughs> are two scenes in Forrest Gump that sum up what Forrest Gump is to me. And the first scene is right after Forrest comes out of uh, uh, Vietnam. His best friend Bubba has died. He's been shot in the buttocks. And he's lying next to Lieutenant Dan, who has no legs. None whatsoever. A body-proud um, career soldier from a family of career soldiers who have fought in every American war that's well-established in the movie. Every American war from, uh, I, I guess, the Revolutionary War. And what is Forrest Gump doing? Ice cream, Lieutenant Dan. Ice cream. Ice cream, Lieutenant Dan. Ice cream. That is this entire fucking movie. From beginning to end. Pain? That doesn't exist in this movie. Loss? No, 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 no. Here is, here is what they want the, the takeaway from the movie. Doesn't matter how other people feel about horrible, horrible things that go on in the world. Ice cream, Lieutenant Dan. Fuck you, movie. I was 25 when I saw this film, and this was one of the first films that I ever left angry. Angry that I sat through two hours of a main character with no story arc. It starts with him dumb. It ends with him dumb. It starts with him with being exposed to things that have no impact, to the robot-like Forrest Gump, to the ending where things have no impact, to the Forrest Gump. There's only one tiny little scene where he's talking to Jenny, or Jenny's grave at the very end, where he breaks just a little bit because he misses her so much. But when I saw this movie, I was angry. I had gone in, everyone was saying, oh, you got to go see Forrest Gump. It's amazing. I went in there, and I was expecting it to have something, something, some kind of statement, some kind of Point. And what I was exposed to were these little scenes that they obviously thought meant a lot. The homespun wisdom of a dumb guy or something. But no, he just bounces through history, blameless, um, um, consequence-free, walking into situations. So at the end, not only does he manage to keep his mother's house, the, this palatial estate that he maintains by himself and lives there with his magic son that somehow was born without AIDS, but also um, a millionaire because Lieutenant Dan invested in Apple. Nothing happens to him, ever. Vietnam is a really good point. Vietnam, I thought, oh, well, maybe something will happen in Vietnam that will be impactful. Well, Bubba dies. But th his sadness over Bubba dying lasts for exactly ha a half second after uh, Alan Silvestri's musical store uh, score swells up to let us know that we need to feel something, to ice cream, Lieutenant Dan. Those scenes are right next to each other. He goes like that. Did you get it, America? Don't be sad. Ice cream. Ice cream. He Nothing impacted him. He lost his very good best friend. 
You know what I would have liked to have seen? Because they here's here's the other problem. Vietnam is shown to be well. If you just make your bed really good and you answer everything with a yes, you'll be fine. I'm fairly certain that there are a number of Vietnam vets that would like to disagree with that. And then he describes the number of different types of rain, and then they get attacked and they all run away. You know what I would have liked to have seen? Forrest's reaction to shooting someone. Not only that, Forrest's reaction to killing another individual. We don't see that because what we're looking at is the Disney-fied version of fucking Vietnam, and I found the entire sequence insulting not only to my intelligence, but to anyone who went through that and didn't come out the other side going, ice cream, Lieutenant Dan. There's an entire generation of people whose Vietnam experience involved losing friends and coming out the other side deeply emotionally scarred. But this movie said, well, see, if you had been dumb things would have been better. Oh, and you would have been a popular ping-pong player in China, and you would have fucking inspired John Lennon to write Imagine, along with any number of incredibly insulting things that he apparently either created because he's dumb or uh, caused because he's dumb. Watergate? Forrest Gump. Well, that's the reason why we know about, about Watergate is because Forrest Gump done called the, 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 the front desk all right, I said there were two scenes. Here is the other scene, and this also is a metaphor for the film. He comes back from Vietnam, meets Jenny, they're at the Capitol, and um, he gets pulled up onto stage for an anti-war protest, and they ask him to please tell him what he thinks about the war in Vietnam, and then the microphone goes out, and we hear nothing. That is this movie as well. It has no opinion, no nothing. It, it makes no judgment calls. It doesn't have the fucking balls to, to actually write anything. If this was a social satire, if this was a comedy, if this was anything, if they wanted to make a statement about anything, they had an opportunity there. If they wanted to just do some basic fucking character development, they could have done it right there, but they didn't. Instead microphone gets turned off and and he, and this is even better because this also is a metaphor for how the public took Forrest Gump he gets up there, he says nothing and then the audience cheers him for not saying anything because they perceived it as being deep this is as deep as a goddamn Hallmark card. In fact, this whole movie is not much more, and not even a good one, not even one of those Hallmark cards that you open up and it has music playing inside of it. This is a Hallmark card that is the cheapest 99-cent card that you buy for a coworker that you didn't really like very much telling him goodbye. This is the cheesiest sentiment that you can possibly do. And all of the catchphrases, life is like a box of chocolate, stupid is as stupid does, all of this other stuff... That's as deep as the movie's going to get. That's as, if you're going in trying, wanting more of an experience, wanting to be able to identify with characters, wanting to be able to see someone who changes because of events that happened in his life, you're not going to get that. This is, when I first saw this movie, I thought, oh, okay, this is like some weird kind of baby boomer propaganda going, well, we didn't know what we were doing. We were all dumb, see? We were all innocents wandering through life. I was kind of in an anti-baby boomer phase when I was 25. Now I just look at it as a hollow Hollywood attempt to try to make something deep and basically appealing to the largest audience they possibly could. And the things that they gloss over, the things that they put uh, put into the main character, Forrest Gump, racism, slavery. You know, he glosses over things like the fact that he's named after Nathan Bedford fucking Forrest, as his mama said, well, I named you that so that sometimes people just believe things that don't make sense. Well, that's it. Slavery solved. Thank you, Forrest Gump. So my depths for my discontent for this movie knows no bounds. Making it even angrier, making me even angrier than I could be is the fact that the very first Bubba Gump Shrimp Company restaurant, a restaurant that I eat at because my children insist on it, the very first one was open 
in Cannery Row in Monterey, a place that I go to because I love Steinbeck, and to see that glittering piece of shit every time I go there fills me with hate. And it's also, but it is an appropriate statement to to the film itself that there is now a chain of 39 Bubba Gump Shrimp Company restaurants where you can go and pretend to be a functioning retard, I guess. I don't know what the point of the restaurants are other than to get more money and to sit in that stupid bench where you can sit there and put your feet into his shoes that he ran around the country in. And I, I'm getting angrier and angrier. So let's let's do the back and forth, Steve. Unmute your microphone. I... <laughs> you know, um, you, you hit on something that I think is probably just – in the superficial sort of analysis I'm doing in my head as we as we talk about this, is probably one of the things that most accounts for how successful the film was uh, commercially because this was a hugely commercially successful movie. I'm pretty I think it was the number one film of the box office that year. It was yeah. just a massive success, and I think a lot of it has to do with the fact that uh, it's baby boomer porn. Mm-hmm. I mean, it's it's hey, remember this. Yeah? yeah, remember this? And a lot of those scenes this? really this? do feel like that they were just stuck in there as a, hey, remember this. It, they, yeah. they do nothing. It lends nothing to the – a lot of this movie has nothing to do with the storyline. It's all, hey, remember John Lennon? Hey, remember uh, uh, the f- – how many presidents does he meet? Three? I think three, yeah. Yeah. And I, I, let me just say this about the special effects back then where they could put John, Tom Hanks into anything. Um, those scenes don't work. They're, oh, look, it's President Kennedy. What's wrong with his mouth? Did he have a stroke? <laughs> it literally, at this point, it looks like, I don't know if very many people know who Clutch Cargo is, but Clutch oh, yeah. Cargo was a cartoon where they literally superimposed a human mouth over drawings of, of people. That's what it looks like in this day and age. Um, but I no. Here's the thing. There are movies where I go. I don't understand why it became a hit. I understand why this became a hit, because it was drama. I mean, it well. Here's the thing. People want to believe that it is a deep, resonant movie that teaches them about how you could uh, just concentrate on on loving the people that you love and and uh, you know be you know. Approach things in a simple way, and good things will happen to you. That is horseshit, America. That is horseshit on the highest degree. And I don't want to be political, but dumb people in the United States get taken advantage of. Forrest Gump would have had a much different life in real life. Now, some people say, well, it's an American fable. Yeah, I would accept it as an American fable, but generally fables have a point to make. Right. And I don't like any of the points that this movie is trying to make to me. Um, I don't know. I mean, do you have takeaways from the film that, that you feel are worthwhile? No, it's actually, that's one of the things I was trying to think of as I watched it yesterday and then as I was sort of mulling it over to get ready for, the, for this review is what is this movie trying to say? What is this movie about? And other than the the insight that Forrest kind of reaches in the, one of the scenes you mentioned when he's at Jenny's grave at the end, when he sort of, he momentarily sort of starts to cry. And then, you know, and one of, one of the things he says during that, during that soliloquy is uh, he's trying to decide whether life is like his mother said it was where it's just a box of chocolates and things just happen or yeah. whether it's like Lieutenant Dan said and everybody has a destiny and he can't figure out which one it is and maybe it's both at the same time. Oh, but um, the director makes sure that we understand what they mean because he, he, the thing is that we're just like a leaf blowing around in the wind right. which is how they open and close the goddamn movie because they want to hit you <laughs> over the head with, your, with a big mallet because you're just as dumb as Forrest Gump is. <laughs> well, and, and there's also the problem that I'm not sure, like, if, I'm not sure that Forrest, because as you, as you point out, he doesn't really have any kind of character arc in the movie at all. I'm not really sure if Forrest would be capable of that insight. When, when he says, you know, I don't know if it's like Lieutenant Dan says or like Mama says, but maybe it's both at the same time. Like, I don't know if he would be capable of making that connection. I just don't think he would, he would reach that insight. No. Uh, and um, but yeah, I don't know what 
I, I don't know what the message of the movie is. I don't know. That, that's one of the problems that I have with it. Like I said in my my summary at the beginning, it has it 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 it, it hits all of the superficial beats of like a, a social satire, but it has no content. It has nothing to say about any of it. Uh, the thing you mentioned about how you completely understand why it was a big hit, though, uh, because it sort of pushes all the right buttons for people. Um, one of the things I don't understand, and I, I agree with you, I, I don't question why it was a big hit, but uh, watching it now as an adult, I have to wonder why it, why it won an Oscar, not just for Best Picture, because everybody now talks about, like, can you believe that Forrest Gump won Best Picture instead of Pulp Fiction in 1994? Like, isn't that And insane? Shawshank Redemption. And Shawshank Redemption, yeah. Um, not only that, even even more inexplicable, perhaps, to me, than the Best Picture Oscar, uh, or even the Best Director Oscar, which I mean, it's not a terribly directed film. It's just really obviously directed. There's just mm-hmm. a lot of a lot of the things that the movie does are the obvious things that that you would do. There's not a whole lot of creativity. There's not a whole lot of invention, either mm-hmm. visually or in terms of the story. And the most explicable, one, inexplicable one to me is it won the Oscar for Best Adapted Screenplay. Mm-hmm. And when I watched the movie this time. There are so many instances that, to me, speak to just really poorly crafted screenwriting. Uh, like I mentioned earlier, the the it takes it, it takes very very easy opportunities for humor. Like there are a lot of jokes in the movie. Almost all of them are just the easiest possible joke you could make. Mm-hmm. And some of them are real groaners. Like when they have John Lennon sort of assembling the lyrics to Imagine in real time during the interview with Forrest Gump on the Dick Cavett Show, where he's like, "These are like needles." Stop. Yeah, exactly. Or, um, me. or there's there's a there's a joke that they do. There's a running joke in the movie that they do over and over and over again, where Forrest will describe something in his voiceover narration, and then that exact thing will happen right after it in the film. You know, like mm-hmm. he'll say, "Sometimes Lieutenant Dan would get a a feeling, and he'd tell us to get down and shut up." And then as mm-hmm. soon as he says that, Lieutenant Dan in the movie goes, "Get down, shut up." And that happens like five or six times, mm-hmm. that, that exact same joke. Um, and there's also, you know, the, the fam- one of the famous catchphrases is he says, you know, stupid is as stupid does. There's a point in the movie where he does that two scenes in a row. And th- these are things that I would think would be, would be taken care of in like a second draft of a screenplay. You know, someone would have read the screenplay and said, okay, well, he says stupid is as stupid does twice consecutively. Or we need to lose one of those. And for some reason... They made that made it into the film, where it's not just that he says that more than once. He says it two or three times, and including two times, one right after the other. So, and but but and these seem seem like just basic screenwriting problems to me. And yet, it wins best adapted screenplay at the Academy Awards that year. That that is inexplicable to me. Um, I can only I. I can only attribute it maybe to sort of like the the coattail effect, like everybody was voting for Forrest Gump for for Best Picture, so it wound up picking up a lot of votes for the other categories as well. But this, this is what I use every time someone goes, I, "Why didn't X, Y, or Z win anything at the Academy Awards?" And this is my pat response to that: Stanley Kubrick never won an Academy Award for anything, not right. once, not ever. Um, that's basically it. Um, Academy Awards, their nominations, and the the people who get the awards, it is an industry award, and they're usually rewarding something that is not related to what the public wants. Now, this was a huge, huge movie. It did did huge box office. Um, it, you know, it, it, critical critically right now, it's running at around a seventy one percent positive and a ninety one percent audience. Um, I think that one of the things about Pulp Fiction was was Pulp Fiction was so different at that time that they really didn't want it to win. It was if you take a look at the, the movies that came out that year, Pulp Fiction, Shawshank Redemption, and Forrest Gump, you could kind of argue that Shawshank is the middle ground between those two extreme end movies. You had Forrest Gump on this end, you had Pulp Fiction on the other end, and in the middle you had Shawshank. Now. Shawshank Redemption is probably one of my favorite films of all time. I've watched it more times than I could. Um, It is sentimental without being sickeningly sweet, and it is dark. 
Pulp Fiction is what Pulp Fiction is, and and you know what? It's amazing that both of these films are being remembered fondly, though Forrest Gump for uh, a number of reasons and Pulp Fiction for a number of reasons. And I know that there are people out there that probably love both films. I, know, I have no doubt that there are people who love Forrest Gump and who also love Pulp Fiction. But there's a part of me that thinks that people aren't – some people don't pay attention to – they don't analyze film. They watch, They just watch. They don't sit there and they go, well, what, is, what were they trying to say? They, there are a lot of people who make arguments about films by using the film's logic as, as, uh, uh, as if it's real. Mm -hmm. Well, you know, uh, Forrest had to do this because Forrest did this before. They, they're missing the point that there was someone who wrote those words down and they could make up anything they want and then a director can come in and do whatever he wants to do, that it is a group process and at any point they can change things to make the movie different. You can't use the movie to explain the movie when you're asking uh, questions about process. Most people don't even consider process and screenwriting and all that stuff when it comes to a film. They just know what they like, and they're going to watch this. And, you know, uh, I think that uh, it, it doesn't surprise me that you were 14 and you really, really liked this movie because if I had seen it when I was 14, I probably would have really liked it. And then later on when I watched it, after I had been exposed to things like history and the true nature of humankind, I would have a much different opinion about uh, about the film. Um, well, and, and the more movies you see as well. I mean, when, well, I was, yeah. when, when I was 14, I had seen – I had probably seen more movies than most people my age, but I was nowhere near as, as into – you know, especially in with a critical eye, movies as I am now, and yeah, I mean, you, when you watch Forrest Gump and you've seen a lot of movies and you've you, you've viewed them critically and you've you've formed your own sort of opinion and your own sort of palette for what movies you like and what movies you don't and what things you like and what things you don't in film. Uh, you know, a lot of you, you you start to realize, or at least I do, that a lot of the things Forrest Gump does are just not that impressive. And I mean, one of the things about the movie that is so that is so off-putting to watch it now is how manipulative it is, and it's manipulative in a bad way. I mean, every oh, movie yeah. is every movie is manipulative. You know, you mentioned Stanley Kubrick, another another great director who never won a competitive Oscar was Alfred Hitchcock, mm -hmm. uh, who was perhaps the most manipulative director <laughs> who I ever. Knew it too. Knew yeah, it. and he could do it very well. He could manipulate you in a way that you you didn't realize where you were being moved to until you were already there. Forrest Gump is manipulative in the worst possible way. Uh, it's it. it it's manipulative in it's it's almost emotional extortion. Uh, it likes. is. He, he is. There's a big difference between being manipulative as a director and being emotionally manipulative in your in what you're doing on screen. And that's what this movie very clearly is attempting to do. And that is, feel sad now, feel happy now, laugh now. And and it's all in the score, it's all in the way it's shot, it's all in the way that it's written, that there are cues that they expect you to follow, and they'll go out of their way to make sure that you follow those things. And there are people who respond to that. I don't like being um, manipulated emotionally to be forced to feel a certain way. I completely agree with you. This, this film feels... Well, I know, uh... Go ahead, sorry. No, well, a really a good example of that is you mentioned uh, the the bit with the feather floating on the wind. It's which is the the first and last image of the film, mm -hmm. and it, there's really it, there's really no reason for that shot to be in the movie. It doesn't have anything to do with anything in the movie except as if as just a very very broad obvious metaphor for Forrest's journey in his life that he just sort mm -hmm. of gets from one place to another. But there's no real reason for us to be following a feather at the beginning and then for the same feather to be picked up and for us to follow it at the end, other than, well, it's just a nice way to button the movie. We'll open mm -hmm. with this and we'll close with this. But there's no, there, there's no motivation for it within the movie, and that's a big problem. And there's a lot of there, you can say that about a lot of the really important scenes in this movie. And uh, you, it's kind of covered over a little bit because Forrest is such a simpleton, but it doesn't cover it so that it's undetectable. There are so many scenes in the movie that are just totally unmotivated. There's just no reason for any of this to be happening. <laughs> and yet it happens. It's uh -huh. like there's no... There's, I'm, like, you, you never really see Lieutenant Dan become attached to Forrest. 
Mm-mm. You never really get why he would seek him out. Like at years later, when he sees him on the Dick Cavett show, and he finds him when his hair is long and he's in a wheelchair, and he basically looks like uh, Ron Kovic from Born on the Fourth of July. <laughs> and clearly, the costume and hair people of Forrest Gump had seen that movie when they came up with mm-hmm. Lieutenant Dan. I'm just saying. Uh, and you know, there's no there's no real reason for Lieutenant Dan and Forrest to reconnect and become as close as they were. Yeah, I mean, here, here's a good point. Here's the missed opportunity for Lieutenant Dan. Lieutenant Dan is upset. He's 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 soul sick. He goes out on the shrimp boat. He climbs up to the top of a mast during a, a hurricane, and then the next day he's magically better. We don't know what he did, what he went through, what he was talking about, what he hashed out. We we just uh, we're just oh okay I guess he's better now. We don't get to find out what's going on because I don't think the screenwriter knew how to write that. I don't think the screenwriter could figure out a way, but what he did know was that he had to make sure that uh, Lieutenant Dan is better by the end of the film. We miss uh, The really interesting people in this movie are underwritten and tangential, and I'm talking about everybody. We're instead following the blank slate from scene to scene to scene. The, the Alabama uh, uh, school segregation scene. Pointless. It is absolutely a pointless scene that is just, you know, kind of um, crowbarred in there to show, just once again, to reestablish, he's pretty dumb. When someone calls that girl a coon and his reaction is, we use brooms to get rid of raccoons off our porch, fuck you, movie. I, uh, (laughs) you dare reference some of the worst times in recent history, and you used it for a fucking dumb joke with Forrest, just so that he can then intercede himself into an actual historical event. And what amazing thing does he does? He picks up some books and he hands it to her. Well, uh, wow, that's amazing. What, What lasting impact did that have on Forrest Gump? None. What? That's yeah, this whole film. Well, and I think part of the uh, another part of the of the problem with Forrest being such a blank slate, and he he's a totally passive character. He's the sort of he's the sort of protagonist that you were actually advised to avoid in writing classes. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, it's like oh don't don't write active characters. Write don't don't write characters that just react to stuff that happens. Like make them proactive. Show them going out and making decisions that make differences in the story and doing things. Forrest never does any of that. Forrest never makes a single decision that makes any impact on anything in the movie, except maybe when he's saving people in Vietnam. And he's only doing that because Jenny told him to. Mm -hmm. I mean, he doesn't really act. He doesn't have any agency in the story at all. Um, But, yeah, there's so much that happens that, that, that just has no point to it. And, I mean, in a way... It's it, you, it's hard to see where else they could have gone with it because you couldn't. It, it would have been even more absurd to have Forrest taking a, a more active role because then it would have changed the event. The whole point of showing Forrest at you know the the school desegregation was to show us what happened as it happened, mm-hmm. but just to sh- sort of put Forrest in there. Mm-hmm. Uh, if they, if if they made him do something that changed history, it would be like it would be you know, it would be like an episode of Quantum Leap all of a sudden. Where, like, well, I Forrest mean, Gump here's, here's the thing: the, the whole reason those scenes are in there was because that was the original lure of the film. Was oh, that so- hey, look, we're we're using special effects to put this character into a whole bunch of uh, stuff in history that you probably know about. Isn't that amazing? Let's make sure we have one of those scenes every fifteen to twenty minutes to keep you uh, engaged in the storyline. Um, well, and you know, the my, uh, my wife watched it with me last night, and she noticed something too that I think a few other people in the more recent criticism of the film have noticed, which is it sort of uh, violates its own premise after a certain point because the whole the whole point of the movie is this anonymous simpleton, you know, sort of walks unknowingly through American history and becomes involved in all these major events. But they keep him the anonymous simpleton all the way through. When, if you think about it logically, and this is the sort of movie where you shouldn't do that and where it clearly doesn't want you to do that, but mm-hmm. I mean, because the, when I watch it as an adult, I see the quality of the film is such that I can't really help but wonder about these things. It's not good enough to distract me from these questions. Um, 
he really, by the time we get to, to the point at the end of the film, he would, you would think, be one of the more famous people in the world. I mean, yeah. he, would, he would no longer be an anonymous guy. There's a point late in the movie when he's doing the run across America, when he just runs back and forth across the United States for like three years, where there's you hear a clip about him on a newscast, and they refer to him as a gardener from Alabama. And by this point, he's a Medal of Honor winner. Mm-hmm. He, has, he has toured China with the American ping pong team. Mm-hmm. He's been on television and met three presidents of the United States. On film. Remember, on all film. of those were on film because they'd use yeah. black and white footage. He was present at the, uh, the, the, the school desegregation and is visible on that film. And he was He's, on the Dick Cavett show. He, he was on the no, Dick Cavett show. Uh, so... How do we account for him being an anonymous, unknown guy? And oh, he's he's the CEO or the founder or whatever of a multi-million-dollar company, and is an incredibly wealthy man mm-hmm. who who is at, at at least you would think well known in his own hometown, if not well beyond. Like it just by the time the move the movie takes him so far that the the whole oh he's just an anonymous guy just doesn't really play at the end. Here's he, my he, question. He ran across the country three times. Who was taking care of his house? <laughs> uh, the 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 saintly black lady. Mm-hmm. No, the saintly has... black lady who's like, I haven't been paid in three years. Yeah. <laughs> She's like sending him letters to post offices in towns that she think he might run through. Like, if you see him, could you please tell him to send me some money? I don't know if he can read. <laughs> Dear whoever is reading this letter to Mr. Mm-hmm. Gump. So yeah. I think it's 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 fairly, uh, aside from a little nostalgia on your part, um, we both don't like this film. Yeah, I, I have nostalgia for it, but I'm forced to admit that, I mean, in, in, in the cold, unforgiving light of day, it is not a good movie at all. It's really yeah. not. If you want something meatier, if you want something that will will truly satisfy you on a on a uh, intellectual level, if you're looking for character development, if you're looking for nice portrayals of women, if you're looking <laughs> for um, here's the, one of the other things I'm just going to bring this up really quick. Any anti-government um, person in the film is portrayed in a negative light as a, either an asshole, the guy who's beating a Jenny. The guy who hits Jenny around, he's a, uh, a, a what a liberal anti-war guy. I can't remember yeah. what he is. Yeah. Uh, and then she falls into the Black Panthers, and then, of course, she inevitably starts doing coke, and then, of course, she gets AIDS. Um, somewhere in there. Somewhere around in there. Um, <laughs> I'm fairly certain that if we follow it, she had the baby, then continued to sleep around or did intravenous drugs, and then got AIDS because the kid doesn't have AIDS. Yeah, it's something like that. I can't. I don't know what the timeline for that is exactly. One of the other messages that they impart: if you fall in love with someone, just so long as you continue to love them, eventually they will fall in love with you. That's literally that is one of those. It's one of those movie stereotypes that winds up in this when he literally pines for one woman the entire film, and then eventually she does fall in love with him after she gets a. Which, oh, as and, we all know, is how life works. Yeah, and also AIDS uh, kills you almost immediately and doesn't actually take months to years and leaves you a destroy leaves you with a destroyed body. You get to die in a nicely brightly lit room. Yeah, it kills you. It's 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 like the disease that Ali McGraw had in Love Story. It actually makes you more beautiful <laughs> as it kills you. Yeah, basically, yeah, that works. That works too. So I'm going to say. That if you want something that is going to leave, you know, leave no real emotional impact, and it's it literally is one of those feel-good movies, just so long as you don't think about it too hard or for too long, then you know, if you haven't seen it, then please go see Forrest Gump. But if you want something a little bit more, something that if you like thinking, which is fun, I enjoy it, um, then you're probably not going to like it if you haven't seen it. I don't know who I'm talking to at this point because I can't think of anyone who has not seen this goddamn film. Um, Steve, do you recommend it? <laughs> yeah, yeah, I I can't recommend it on its own merits. I would recommend. I, I think similar to what you said, I would recommend it if for whatever reason you have not seen it. I would recommend you watch it just for, surely for purposes of cultural literacy, just mm-hmm. so you have seen it, so you can have an opinion on it. Because for better or worse, it is 
a very prominent, very important film of the last 20 years of American cinema, even though I don't think it's a good film in its own right. Uh, but yeah, as, as a movie on its own merit, I can't recommend it. Okay. Well, now we move on to the part where people tell us that we don't know what we're talking about. They're not talking to us directly, but we always feel that we should include a counterpoint argument called from the reviews from IMDb. And first, and this is called counterpoint. Uh, first up is uh, Lacey Joe Skip, who gave this movie 10 stars. And this might explain how America is feeling about this film. And I think that this, this type of review is probably indicative as to why it's so well-loved. Uh, when I first saw this movie, I didn't appreciate it like I do now. I think it may have been because I was so young when I first saw it. Just recently, I saw the movie again. What an amazing story and moving meaning. That movie teaches you so much about life and the meaning of it. That life isn't as bad as most people make it seem. Ugh. That an innocent man can impact so many lives with his innocence. The meaning of the movie to me is that everyone needs to have a better outlook on life. That we need to appreciate more of the little things and not let the big things hold us back. That truly, although life may throw us trials and tribulations like a box of chocolates, but that we have to just bite into it and get through it even if we don't like it. That we all need to hold true to our values and not sink into a place that feels like there's no hope. I just love this movie. And anyone who hasn't seen it or who thinks that I that don't like it, that's what she wrote, I seriously suggest seeing it or seeing it again. It truly is amazing. I don't think I need to come up with a reply to that. This person found the meaning of fucking life in Forrest Gump. And apparently the meaning in Forrest, in Forrest Gump is, uh, what was it? Uh, appreciate more of the little things and not let the big things hold us back. Yeah. Forrest Gump is the uh, equivalent of that hackneyed, tired expression of, of you know, the, the kind of advice that you get from a daughter and grandma. I agree with it. What do you think of Lacey's review? <laughs> Lacey Joe, if I can call you that, if it's not too forward of me, um, it seems like Lacey Joe's uh, relationship with the movie is exactly the opposite of mine. <laughs> She's describing kind of, sort of, how I felt about it when I first saw it when it opened when I was 14, where I thought I, I projected all these meanings and all these beautiful ideas onto it and I look at it now and I just don't see any of that you know so I don't know I think she's like the op she's gone in the opposite direction yeah she probably didn't like it when she was younger because there wasn't a boy band in it or something <laughs> okay our other counterpoint review is from author uh, let's see Megan McCormick who also gives it 10 out of 10 and uh, Megan writes, Forrest Gump is an amazing film. I thought it was brilliant, and Tom Hanks as Forrest was just amazing. I love the way the storyline worked and how he talked about his life in flashbacks to different people who were waiting with him. I must admit, I did cry twice in this movie. All in all, it will be on my top ten list. This movie will never get old no matter how many years it has been out for. Even though they talk, this is my favorite part, even though they talk in a southern accent, it is still amazing. I think the whole aspect of Forrest Gump is amazing, and I never expected it to be that good the first time I watched it. Now I cannot stop watching it. That sounds like a mental problem. I have seen this movie so many times and still not over it. I would recommend this movie to people because it certainly is a classic. I guess Megan thinks that it's amazing because she used that word 15 times in this little paragraph review, and I'm sorry. I didn't realize that your usual litmus test for the quality of a film is if they're using southern accents. Steve? <laughs> well, I agree. I agree with Megan. I think it is definitely worth seeking out the whole aspect of the movie. You should totally see the widescreen version and not the pan and scan version. Uh, oh, okay. <laughs> I also think that uh, yeah, the the amazing thing where it's I can I can paraphrase uh, Louis C.K. You know, what if something really amazing happens to you? What word are you going to use now that you used amazing on Forrest Gump? 
That's great. I like that. That's a great quote. Yeah, yeah. Okay. He, uh, I think he originally referred, he originally said it for a bucket of chicken, but uh, <laughs> it's a great performance gum too. Well, These safe. chicken wings are amazing. Okay, everybody, and now it's time for recommendations. Before we leave you, we like to give you recommendations of films that we love that are kind of recommended to the movie that we just reviewed. And um, I'll go first, and the movie that I'm going to recommend is A Face in the Crowd, which, if you've never heard of it, was directed by Elia Kazan, one of the greatest directors that you've probably never heard of if you're of a certain age, which is unfortunate. Um, it tells the story of a guy named Lonesome Rhodes who was a bum who gets discovered as a kind of a, a singing talent and a comedic talent. He uh, works his way up in the entertainment industry, and then he starts uh, taking on political views, and he starts uh, giving people his uh, viewpoint, his kind of let's say very not popular in this day and age viewpoints in regards to <laughs> any number of political topics, and then eventually his own hubris brings him down. I'm not going to tell you a whole lot because it really is important for you to go out and discover this movie. Yes, it's in black and white. It stars Andy Griffith in his premiere. This was the first thing that anyone had seen him in. He'd been kind of known as a, as a kind of a comedian um, entertainer up until this point, but he got cast in this part. He owns that part, and if you've never seen Andy Griffith act outside of uh, Matlock or uh, the Andy Griffith show, which is too bad because he is actually a damn fine actor, and he does a fantastic job in this performance that has to have a character go from being uh, a kind of down and out, literally bum. They literally find him in the trash. Um, to uh, this bombastic, arrogant piece of shit. Um, uh, the movie was... Uh, I'm going to have to check my notes because I can't remember the guy's name who wrote it. Um, I'm sorry, uh, Bud Schulberg uh, was the story and screenplay for this film. I, If you haven't seen it and you're kind of like me and you're kind of jaded and you're kind of cynical, then you're going to, this is going to tide you over for those long periods of time where it's now Oscar season and everyone's rolling out, out the movies that are supposed to tug at your heartstrings and, and get you excited about Oscar dramas. This is, jeez, uh, um, I can't even, how, I'm trying to think of a movie that's like it now that is kind of related to it, and I really can't. The only people that I can pull in to reference are the commentators that we have on TV now. You know the Duck Dynasties, the the Bill O'Reillys, the, the most of Fox. This movie, which is well over fifty years old now, really does pertain to how we are venerating people who probably should not be venerated at this point. How we're lifting up people with bad, horrible ideas, and because they're on TV, we're loving them. This movie speaks to all that, and it applies to what's going on here. Um, other people that are in the movie, uh, Anthony, uh, Tony Franciosha, which generally isn't glowing, but he's actually really good in the film, Walter Matthau, and uh, Lee Remick, and Patricia Neal. It's a fantastic cast, fantastically directed, and with um, just a really great, I mean, great writing, great storytelling, great character. This is a, the whole deal. It is one of my favorite films of all time. Um, please go out and find A Face in the Crowd with Andy Griffith. Steve? Uh, well, first I'll second A Face in the Crowd. I agree. That's It's one of my very favorite films as well. It's just stunning. And if you haven't seen it, I highly recommend checking it out. Um, my recommendation is the 1992 film version of John Steinbeck's Of Mice and Men. Now, there is uh, an earlier film version, a more acclaimed, probably, I would say, a better film version than this version from 1939 with Lon Chaney Jr. and Burgess Meredith, directed as Lewis Milestone. If you haven't seen that, check that out, too, because that is awesome. But I'm recommending this version because uh, this uh, is starring and directed by uh, Gary Sinise, who, of course, is Lieutenant Dan in Forrest Gump and is one of my very, very favorite actors. I just love Gary Sinise. I always like to see him in things because he's just tremendous. And uh, he directed this. Uh, this is based on a, a stage production that he did with the Steppenwolf uh, Theater in, I think, Chicago. Uh, 
years before this, and uh, it's it's well known today mostly for John Malkovich playing Lenny. Uh, Sinise, all, Sinise plays the other starring role as George, and there's other well-known actors, and I think Sherilyn Fenn is in it. Um, and it's a really solid version of this story. It's a timeless American story. One of the things that I love the most about this version, about this film, is that it's very tightly directed. It doesn't have the feeling of like a prestige picture. It doesn't feel like it's constantly trying to remind you of how important and and you know monumental the story is it's not the sort of you know uh, a modern american classic it's just very nose to the grindstone very and there's the, the downside of that is it's not it's not visually super duper impressive but i'll take that because it's very focused and it's and there's a lot of very direct very sharp craft to it um the performances are spectacular. Sinise is great in a very tight, very subtle performance as George. Malkovich is tremendous as Lenny. Uh, really, really heartbreaking performance. Uh, and uh, uh, it's an interesting comparison to compare Malkovich as Lenny to Tom Hanks as Gump and sort of see how one, like the, the, the Gump performance is very sentimental and and very sort of reaching out and tugging at heartstrings, whereas Malkovich's performance seems like he's much more focused on on the character as opposed to you know trying to wring some sort of emotional response out of the audience. Not that there isn't sentimentality in Malkovich's performance, there is, but it's not nearly as blatant. Um, but overall, just a really really excellent excellent film version of Of Mice and Men. Uh, the movie that really got me. To notice Gary Sinise, uh, and I, I, this movie came out in '92. Came out, so I was 12 years old. So I was by no means a big like movie buff at the time. But I remember seeing it reviewed on Siskel and Ebert. I remember watching it when it came out on video and thinking, "Wow, I, you know, I really like this, and I really love this actor." And it made me a Gary Sinise fan for life. And ever since then, you know, with Forrest Gump, Apollo 13, like all of the big Gary Sinise projects have been the sort of thing that I would just run out to see because I. I have a great love for him, and uh, it dates back to this version of of Mice and Men, which put Gary Sinise on the map, and uh, is my recommendation for this week. You know, they should uh, they should make a movie. Hollywood will probably wind up making a movie with Forrest Gump and Lenny. That would be awesome. That would be an awesome film. <laughs> and it should be a cop movie. They should be cops. Your puppy's not moving anymore. Ice cream, Lenny. <laughs> Let he put down that dead puppy and have some ice cream. You heard that I wanted to make a movie that had Forrest Gump, Nell, and if you don't know who Nell is, look it up, <laughs> and Lenny all in a road picture where they drive to try to find something. I don't know what, but I think if I say it loud enough, it'll probably wind up getting made. Okay, it that's it. It must happen. <laughs> Well, you've reached the end of our show. If you agreed with us, let us know. If you disagreed with us, let us know. And um, also, I would like to ask you viewers to please leave questions specifically about movies um, down below in the comment section addressed to us so that we can actually take some time to respond to direct questions. We do take recommendations. I saw The Crow in there. I wouldn't mind re uh, reviewing The Crow. Um, I've seen a, a few other movies that I would like to review. Um, please leave it down below and it'll drive a new segment of the show at the very end in which we respond to what you guys are uh, responding with to us. That was awkward of me to say, but oh, who cares? Anyway, <laughs> thanks for tuning in, guys, and go see a movie this week. Go And then go see another movie after that one. Late Seating is a Lemmy Listen podcast production featuring Steve Shives and Jason Harding. Music by Kevin McLeod. Produced by Jason Harding. You can find more Let Me Listen podcasts at our website at www.lemmylistenpodcasts.com. You can also find us on Facebook, SoundCloud, and iTunes under Let Me Listen. Please like and leave a review. And thanks for listening.